It's so good to spend Christmas Eve with you. This is our fourth Christmas Eve in Port Orchard as a church plant. And one of the great gifts of that is that nobody can come up to me and say, well, we haven't always done it that way. Do you know what I mean? Like we can still change things up. So it was really fun to plan Christmas Eve together and to get to um, celebrate and add in some of your different family traditions and church traditions. You might be really glad that I have not brought you one of my family's Christmas traditions, which is that we not only went to church on Christmas Eve, but guess what else? Who else grew up with this? We also went to church on Christmas Day. Ding, ding, ding. So not only we opened up presents, you know, six in the morning, Santa came. And then almost immediately after breakfast, we had to put on our nicest clothes. I actually have a picture of this. Yeah, this here's my little family. This is me and my siblings. We had to dress up in our nicest clothes and then go to church. And then go to grandma's house with only one toy. Anybody else? That is vintage. Rebecca, my daughter is wearing uh, my sister's little dress today. So I was feeling a little nostalgic today for um, Christmas as a kid. But also glad that I don't have to wake up tomorrow morning and come back to church and reset this up. Though I love you guys and I would do it for you. Um, Christmas, the one thing that stays the same, no matter what the tradition is, no matter whether you do it Christmas Eve or Christmas morning, if you are celebrating Christmas, the one thing that is consistent is the story of Christmas, right? It is pretty amazing to me that in 2023, most of the world, certainly the Western world, still stops on Christmas Day. To celebrate a story. And what I want to propose to you is that whether this is a story you're familiar with or not, whether it's something you believe in or not, I'd like for you to consider that this actually might be the best story that ever was. And then on, if you could get there, the potential past that is that not only was it the best story ever, but God is actually still writing the best story. He has written it, he is writing it, and that Christmas just lands in the center of the story and kind of tells us by its very nature, the nature of Christmas, what the rest of the story is. So allow me to story tell for you a little bit of this Christmas story. We are going to be um, reading a little bit from the Bible in Luke chapter 1. If you're the kind of person who likes to open up and see where it's coming from, you can look at Luke chapter 1. I'm going to get to verse 46 eventually. That's Mary's song. But to get there, it'd be helpful to know what's going on with Mary. So this book of Luke doesn't start with Mary and Joseph and eight and a half pound baby Jesus in a manger. It starts with... A couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth, who are experiencing something radical. They are past childbearing age, and yet they are given a sign from an angel that comes to Zechariah and says that they are going to have a son, and his name will be John. And John will mean because God has had mercy. And so the story of Christmas begins with crazy miracles. But they're not the only ones who get the crazy miracle. 
It's also Mary. Mary is such an interesting person to give a crazy miracle to because if you were going to write any stories about what God was doing in the Roman world, like think Greek and Roman mythology and you're in the era of when Jesus was born. So you wouldn't have written the story about a teenage girl who's in an arranged marriage but not married yet who lives in a town that doesn't usually show up on the map, but it's close to the big city. That's not the main character, usually. And yet, this is who Jesus has, God has written into the center of his story, is this woman, Mary, who also has a visit from an angel. And the angel tells her, you're going to bear a son, and that son's name will be Jesus, which means God saves. Because he will save his people from their sins. And furthermore, it goes on to tell her that this son is going to be from the line of kings that goes way back into the ancient history of her people. Mary hits this news and she goes quiet, actually just like Zechariah and Elizabeth, the older couple who were also told by an angel they'd be pregnant. They, it says Elizabeth hid herself for six months. And then when Mary finds out that she's going to have a son, it says she treasured this up in her heart. She goes quiet until this moment where they get together. And when they get together, their joy is amplified. When they get together, um, something further miraculous happens. Uh, Elizabeth is now six months pregnant with John, and she says the baby leaps in her womb when she sees Mary. And Elizabeth is flooded with an understanding that she is meeting now the mother of her Savior. Like, kind of blows your mind, right? Like we're talking about like an embryo in utero. How in the world is all this going to be? But God is writing the best story and it starts with these miraculous moments and this amplification of joy when they get together and say, God's doing something crazy in your life. God's doing something crazy in my life too. And then what was secret and hidden becomes known. And Mary writes a song about it. And that's going to be our text today. When you listen to it, I want you to listen to hear to the awe and wonder that Mary has that she's being written into God's best story. So listen to this. From Luke chapter 1 verse 46, Mary says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, from, for behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. The first burst of joy is Mary acknowledging what God is doing for her. In this moment. In this town that isn't usually on the map. Has anybody noticed when you start driving to Port Orchard from Gig Harbor, what's the town that's on the sign? Bremerton, right? Okay, guess what? Mary can hang with us, okay? Because she's from the town that people just drive by, okay? Just pass by. She is recognizing that God has not passed her by. She is not an unknown poor peasant woman anymore. God has done mighty things for her. I love in the, the children's version of this Bible, the one that, um, uh, it's called the NIRV, but it says, uh, God has looked upon those who others did not consider important. 
And then what she goes on to say, as she's with Elizabeth, and they're talking about all these mighty things that God is doing to them, how surprising it is that God took the woman past childbearing range and her cousin, the young virgin, and made them both mothers together in this like moment that God's doing something crazy. What they rejoice in is not that God is actually doing something new. The rest of her song is to say, this is what God always does. This is his nature. This is who he's always been. This is what he's always been doing. Now he's doing it for me. But oh my goodness, how marvelous is the God. My soul is trying to magnify him. That, that word is to make bigger. My, my soul is trying to make more of God, make much of him. I am rejoicing in God, my Savior, because he's doing for me what he has always done, who he always has been. And so then she goes on to sing, after she's thought about what he's done for her, she goes on to sing about what God has done in the world. Verse 41, or 51, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty one from their thrones and exalted those of humble of state. Same word as the, he's exalted those who the world does not think important. He makes much of them. He has filled the hungry with good things. The rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. I'm going to nerd out for a second. There's a really cool tense in the Greek, which is what this was originally written in, which indicates that something happened once and it still has ongoing implications. It's a very particular tense. You can say something happened and it just happened once and it's done. But you can say it happened once and it still has an impact. That's all of these verbs. God once scattered the proud in the pride of their hearts and he's still doing it. He has once lifted up those who are a humble estate and he's still doing it. This is God's nature. It is who he is. And in all of our favorite stories, the same thing happens. Okay, so think about this. One of the best movies ever made. Hockey movie. You got the unlikely coach. You got the team. Yeah, you got it, you got it. Come on. Mighty Ducks, there it is. You got the unlikely team that has not the best players, right? From like the, the town that people don't expect things to happen from. And we watch that movie and we know what's going to happen at the beginning of the movie. We know what's going to happen at the end. What's going to happen at the end? They're going to win, right? Like we believe deep in our core for an underdog. Do you know why we do that? Because it's what God's always been doing. This is what God always does. When he picked Abraham, he picked another guy who was past childbearing age who didn't have kids and came and told him that all of the nations of the earth were going to be blessed through his children. One of his children was named Jacob, which means the cheater. God chose the cheater to get close to him and wrestle things out with him and changed his name from Jacob, the cheater, to Israel, the one who has wrestled with God. And you heard it in Mary's song because she said of God, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. This is who God has always been. He always draws near to the one that you don't expect, who empowers the weak and who makes them the strong. 
one of another best story. We love when God picks somebody out of obscurity and makes them central to the story. Just like in a galaxy far, far away, on a cast out planet, open the scene on a young woman who has no family, who has mysterious powers, and you've got Ray, right? And you go, she could not be important, right? She's getting up scrap metal. And yet we love that story, right? And we wait till kind of the end of the third movie to find out what family she's from, right? And we go, that's a great story because it's an echo of the best story where King David was the youngest of the shepherd boys, was not destined for anything, right? He probably wasn't even going to inherit the flocks because he had too many brothers up in front of him. And yet God chose David because he said he was a man after his own heart. And he chose him to be the king of Israel. Definitely not perfect. Holy goodness. And yet God loved him and made a covenant relationship with him and said that of David, he would have a son on the throne forever. So then fast forward, and when the angel tells Mary, your son will be the son of David. He will be the king on the throne forever. And here we go again with the best story ever told being echoed. In Mary's story and in our own hearts, we go, that is right. That God would go after those in obscurity and set in them the image of his son and call them sons and daughters of the Most High God. Our soul goes, yes, that's the best story. This story was written before Tolkien write the Lord, Lord, wrote The Lord of the Rings, right? It gets heralded as one of the best stories ever written because we love this epic battle, right? Between the, the playing field is Middle Earth, but all the powers that be are involved in this epic battle. And you've got this ragtag group of guys who are going to take down evil, right? We love this story because it is an echo of the best story. The story of God who created the earth, who's engaged in a heavenly battle for this earth, who doesn't battle with the most obvious nine-foot Goliath type of people who have all the weapons in the world. God goes to the earth with the ragtag group of fishermen disciples. And it's like, I want to hang out with the guys who always have fresh fish. Amen? Let's hang out with them. Let's bring the new heavens and the new earth to bear through ordinary people who do extraordinary things together. Not in their own power, but in ancient power. We love that story because it's the best story. Where God has set eternity in our hearts. Where he gives us the power of his spirit, not to do anything new, but to do what he's always been doing. Setting people free. Healing people. Bringing people into the community who feel like they are cast out. Forming little families, right? Tolkien got that and told a great story because it's an echo of the best story. I want to challenge you in your hearts today to consider what's your favorite story? <laughs> what's the story of your life that you are in the middle of? 
is it possible that that's an echo of the best story? That the reason that you love that, that that's written on your heart so deeply, is because it actually echoes who you were made to be and who our creator essentially is. When we get together the way that Mary and Elizabeth got together and we start talking to one another about what God has done, when we remember that God's not only doing something in our lives the way Mary started by saying he's doing something mighty for me, but we remember that this is what God has always done, who he always has been, then we break out in joy. Many of you are carrying a story very close to your heart. You've gone quiet with something. That's all well and good. You're in good company. Part of the best story is treasuring things up in your heart and wondering what God is up to in it. I want to put in front of you an invitation to consider telling someone in your life some of that little story, that hidden story of what God is doing. Because what happened when Mary and Elizabeth got together and remembered what God has done and what he is doing is they realized that they were part of what God is doing in the world. And it set them free. Free to live a life, a somewhat ordinary life that actually turned out to be extremely extraordinary. And I think that's the same invitation that God gives us. To live in the towns that we live in, whether or not they're on the map. To have the family that we have, the way that Mary and Elizabeth were cousins. To have the vocation that we have, whether it's Joseph the carpenter or Mary the mother, whatever that vocation is. And experience God's meeting us there. That's at the heart of Christmas. Is that Jesus came to be in the messy living room of his extended neighbors in Bethlehem and from there to pull ragtag friends together to share with them the good news that God is who he has always been, the God who loves us, the God who chooses the cheater, the God who calls up the youngest of us to be the leader, the God who makes good on his promises and all the way till the end all the way to the epic battle, whatever that's going to look like. I have no idea. But it's happening now. And the power of God is stronger than the powers that are in the world. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And the end of the story has already been written. And it's not scary. It's a new heavens and a new earth under the good and righteous king where all of the nations and tribes and tongues are together worshiping God, completely united. There's a tree there, Revelation says, that has leaves that are for the healing of the nations. Amen? Do we need that or what? <laughs> and whose fruit bears fruit in every season. This is the end of the best story. And just like Mary and Elizabeth were invited into it, so are we. And Christmas is an opportunity for us to get together and remember there's two images of Christmas that come very naturally to remembering what God is doing. The manger and the meal. We're going to wake up tomorrow morning, yeah? The Lord Terry will wake up tomorrow, right? 
And many of us will tell a story, whether it's, goodness, how many times have we recited The Grinch? I'm like so close to having that whole thing memorized because my son has been obsessed with The Grinch since he was three. He's wearing a Grinch t-shirt tonight and I couldn't, I couldn't like bear to have him change it because that is Christmas, right? So natural to tell a story on Christmas morning. I wonder if you would consider it being natural, like if you could like just shake off it feeling awkward and say, I'd like to read the original Christmas story. Could you bring the story of the manger into the center of your living room and just read it? You could like do it even on your phone. You could look up Luke chapter one and just scroll through the headings for the Christmas story and read the story of Christmas and let it come into your natural life. Maybe you'll just move right on to opening presents. But maybe your soul, because I do believe that we are body and soul creatures, maybe your soul will rejoice, will know something is more true tomorrow morning than the presence, or whether or not we have snow. Come on. <laughs> maybe your soul will go, this story feels true today. I want to invite you to bring the manger into your home. The second is the meal. We're going to get to that in a minute. But I don't want to pass too fast past the glory of what it is to believe that the Christmas story invites us to an end of the story that involves God coming into the messy world and making it new again. You have been listening to the Kitsap House podcast sermon series, a Kitsap House production. We are located in Port Orchard, Washington, with in-person worship every Sunday at 1730 Southeast Mile Hill Drive inside the Raw Gym in the Town Square Mall. Services are 10 a.m. For more information, go online to kitsaphouse.org. Don't forget to subscribe and tell a friend. Thank you, and God bless.